going to clap, clap like you mean it. If you're going to shout, shout like you mean it. If you're going to say amen, say it like you mean it. Don't wimp around. My goodness, man. Can you imagine how a football stadium would be if everybody acted like they were in church? Somebody scores, the band plays the fight song, and everybody just stands there in a smattering of applause. Come on. This is about Jesus. This is about victory. This is about what it is all about. So amen for that, right? Okay, let's go ahead and we'll let you be seated and turn to the book of Exodus. You guys can go on down. Don't touch each other. We want to get you guys dispersed as much as we can. Somebody said the choir looks kind of sick, so we better get them out of here. So, I was uh, thinking before we uh, get to our passage in Exodus today, I thought about what Paul said in Philippians uh, in the third chapter. He said, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I thought of. And put no confidence in the flesh. And then he goes on to say that if you want to look at human performance, he's saying basically I could outdo most of you, but that's not where our confidence is. It's not in our flesh, it's not in our performance, it's not in who we are, but what we've been singing about. And by the way, you've been singing very good today. And uh, that's, that's what matters. Now, let's go back and rewind a little bit to what we've been talking about. Forty years previous, Moses thought he had it all together. He was strong, um, he was influential, he was well-educated, he was well-dressed. He was, you know, one of the elite raised in a palace, uh, educated in all of the uh, learning of the Egyptians, which was the top shelf of that day. And uh, you remember that he decided that seeing the Egyptian unjustly beating the Hebrew was not right, so he took matters into his own hands, and he ended up killing the Egyptian, and then he had to run for his life. And then while he is at the well at Midian, there are some ladies there that came to water their flocks. Some shepherds came in, and they were mistreating the ladies. And Moses, listen guys, single-handedly drove the shepherds off and then watered the flock for the ladies, which was something that you really, a man, that wasn't very manly work back then. So Moses was a powerful figure. He was not a wimp. He was not somebody who, uh, you know, didn't have a passionate heart about what's right and what's wrong, about justice. We might call it social justice. He was convinced in his heart slavery of the Hebrews was wrong, and he was single-handedly going to take it on, wasn't he? And uh, yet what happened? Well, he was doing it in the strength of his flesh. Somebody's got to do something. Moses said, I guess I ought to be the one to do it. I understand that. I've done that kind of thing before. Maybe not to that degree, but I've done that before. Something's got to be done. I just can't sit here and do nothing. We may have all kind of felt that at uh, one time or another. Now, what was wrong with what Moses did? The main thing was God didn't authorize it. The Bible says, quoting Jesus, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. And no matter how you try to dress it up, you can put sequins on it, and it still will stink in the nostrils of God. It will still be flesh. And there's an old hymn that says, the arm of flesh will fail you. That's 100% of the time. 
100% of the time. God is not dependent upon us, our talents, our abilities, or anything like that. After all, he created the earth and he created the universe and the galaxies out of nothing with just a word. I mean, it's kind of lame to think that here we are as puny human beings that somehow we're going to you know, do something that God can't do and he's going to, oh goody, somebody finally did that for me. He's not that kind of a God. So Moses, after 40 years of tending his father-in-law's sheep in the desert, thinking that God's through with me, I'm washed up, I'm an old man now, what can I do now? And God says, now's the time I'm getting ready to use you. Now if I were advising God, I don't think I would advise him using somebody who might get the coronavirus or something, right? I mean, he's, he's a man who would be uh, in the at-risk category, wouldn't he? But it's not only that. You've got to think that maybe uh, sometimes as you get to that age, maybe the mind's not quite as sharp. Maybe the body doesn't move like it used to. Maybe it's not quite as strong. I mean, why now? Why now? And if all you do is look at what Moses is capable of doing, then you're looking and saying, God's timing, boy, it was really, really off. God, you had your chance, but, you know, this is not going to work now. And maybe if we could go back into Moses' thought life, maybe after 40 years in the backside of the desert being bored stiff for all of those years, maybe Moses is thinking the same thing. And maybe that's why the same guy that at one time was kind of willing to take on the institution of the slavery of the Israelis single-handedly. Single-handedly. He was going to be the Martin Luther King or something like that. And uh, he was going to take it on and see something happen. Well, after 40 years, Moses doesn't want to do it anymore, does he? In fact, Moses is the one that we're going to see in a later passage. He comes up, this same guy with all kinds of excuses as to why I'm not your man. I'm not the man. I could never do this. And it's interesting that God seems to use people who don't think that they can do something a whole lot more than he uses the people that are confident in what they do. Why? Because confident people tend to put confidence in the flesh. I can do this because I'm strong. I can do this because I'm talented. I can do this because I'm wise. I can do this because I'm experienced. I can do this because... And we put it all upon ourselves. And that causes us then to... Um, well, when we fail, kind of like Moses did, what does that cause us to do? We pull out completely. And we don't want to do anything. And we don't want God to use us for anything. We've pulled out. We've quit. And we live a life that is weak, meaningless, powerless. And while we may have attendance in church, we don't have any influence as a church. There's a difference between having a church having attendance and a church having influence. I'll go for influence every time. But the influence is never going to come because we're the biggest church in town or the biggest church in the world. That's not what gives you influence. We have influence because we have wealthy people in our church. That's not what we're talking about. We have influence because we have an abundance of talent. Not a bad thing, but that's not what it's all about. 
Influence comes because ordinary people are empowered by an extraordinary God. I'll say that again. Influence comes because ordinary people have the power of an extraordinary God. In other words, no confidence in the flesh, but every confidence in God. Somebody said that God can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it. Well, that's what he's doing with Moses. Flawed, set aside, old, bored, feeling useless, he's out of touch. All of that kind of stuff is happening. And yet one day he sees that burning bush... And in that burning bush, the Lord speaks to him and calls his name. And Moses is about to be commissioned to do one of the great works of all time. And he doesn't even think he can do it. Sometimes God has to get you to the place to where you are knocked down so that you're forced to look up. All of the times when you don't think you need to look up, that's when you're dangerous. That's when you're vulnerable. And that's when the enemy loves to attack. And that attack brings great discouragement. It takes you out of the game, so to speak. And uh, God is doing something in Moses now to give us some hope. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe God put a call on your life and you ignored it. And now you go, well, it's too late. Well, this story ought to encourage you. Maybe you were a person who, maybe you answered the call. And you went forth with great zeal. You took that Sunday school class. You took that ministry. Maybe you took a church. And you did everything you knew to do to the best of your ability. And it just flopped. And you don't ever want to do anything like that again. And you feel like God has abandoned you. And you were useless to Him. Maybe there was a moral failure. I mean, after all, uh, isn't murder immoral? And Moses had killed an Egyptian and had to run for his life. Uh, maybe there's things like that in your life. Maybe you even have listened to some of the TV preachers and you have heard them say that God can't do anything unless you have faith. I would like to invite those people to read Exodus chapter 3. Moses was anything but filled with faith. This is not a confident man. This is not a man who is jumping up and down and going, whoopee, I've seen God. This is a man who can hardly speak. This is a man who up to this point has done nothing but listen. This is a man that when he does speak is going to say very, very negative things about himself and about the plan of God. He's basically going to say to God, I mean, here's his declaration of faith. This is a horrible idea, God. Send somebody else. Maybe you felt that way. May this story give you hope. Because what God is showing us here is that the power of God, when God hits the power button, there's no stopping him. Because it's not confidence in the flesh. Is Moses a great leader? Is Moses very charismatic? Is Moses a... I don't know. Not at this point. And Moses certainly doesn't think he is. And God is saying, who you are... What you have done and what you think about yourself is irrelevant. Trust me, I'm the power that you need. I want to read this and I want you to think about that uh, somebody said, and I'll just read a, a quick paragraph. When he went forth in the energy of the flesh, 
He was full of confidence in the success of his mission. This comes, uh, this comes out clearly in Acts 7.25. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God, uh, by his hand, would deliver them, but they understood not. See, Moses thought he was starting a revolution, according to that. Moses thought that all of the slaves would rally with him, and they would get freedom in that way. He was confident of that. He knew it was going to happen, right? I continue. But now that he is called of God to this work, he is very conscious of the difficulties in the way. The discipline of the backside of the desert had not uh, been in vain. Shepherding had chastised him. It had corrected him. And so we go to Exodus chapter 3, and we go down to verse 10. So would you follow along in your Bible? Open it up or turn it on, whatever the case may be. If you are watching by live stream, uh, welcome. We're glad we're able to do this. And we would invite you not just to sit back and casually watch, but participate with us. And uh, let's look in the Word of God and let God speak to us. Because in these perilous times in which we live, I think we all agree we need the power of God just like Moses did for everything that we do. And here's what it says in verse 10. Come now, therefore... And I will send you to Pharaoh, by the way, the most powerful person in the world, okay? That you may bring my people, the children of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, in other words, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, here's his statement of faith, isn't it? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he, the Lord, said... I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, and notice how God didn't say, if you bring them out, it's when you bring them out, you shall serve God on this mountain, this same place. Now remember, he was at uh, in Horeb, that's a mountain range, and the mountain there is Mount Sinai. That ought to ring a bell. He'll be back. He'll be back to this same place. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, we sang about this, didn't we? I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, your ancestors, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and, uh, and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, 
and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us and now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And we'll stop there. So this is a showdown. This is a power encounter between a shepherd that is empowered by the creator of the universe and Pharaoh, the man who has guards, he has money, he has prestige, he has power, he has all of that. He's the most powerful man on the earth who is going to win. Uh, you can imagine Moses in this state, how nervous he must have been. You can imagine a little bit of reluctance here to go before this guy who could take his life at a single moment. I mean, I doubt you would go to Washington, D.C. and go up and demand to see President Trump and break your way in if you had to without fearing the consequences. Well, Moses is thinking the same thing. Who's going to let me in? How am I going to get in? I don't have any influence. It's been 40 years since I've been in Egypt. Nobody remembers me. And if they do, it would be in a negative way. I saw you on a wanted poster in the post office 40 years ago or something, right? And uh, this is a whole different thing. Who am I? Who am I to do that? Now, I did notice when I was reading the text, when God revealed himself, he called himself the great I am. When Moses revealed himself, he said, who am I? And a big difference between the two. God says, I am. I am. I'm not the I was. He's not the I will be. He's not growing and learning. He's not a God who used to be. He's the God that in any generation, he is the I am. Consistent, unchanging God. And this is supposed to encourage Mo Moses and to show him, Moses, the power that you have is not in you. It's not your influence. It's not who you are or what you've been doing or any of your accomplishments. His resume doesn't look too good right now. This is about me. I have called you and I am sending you. Let's talk about the power of God. You need the power of God to be a parent. You need the power of God to be a husband or a wife. You need the power of God to employ other people in a way that honors God. You need the power of God to be an employee in a way that honors God. You need the power of God to make it through times like this when people are going crazy you know, and toilet paper is worth a bag of gold. I mean, it's all that kind of stuff. It's a crazy, crazy world that we live in. But God never changes. And the God uh, that was here that we worship before the coronavirus invaded our country is still the God uh, even during the midst of something like this. Uh, the same God that rules when Republicans are in the White House rules when Democrats are in the White House. This is the same God that is the unchangeable ruler of all when a person that you loves is, uh, love is with you and he's the same God when they are taken from you. This is God who is unchangeable. He doesn't need us, but we desperately need him and we need to walk and to live in his power. Now remember, the Bible says quoting Jesus again, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. An impossible task. 
a task that disciples probably wouldn't want to do. I don't want to go to Samaria. And I don't really like Judea. I'm a Galilean. Why would I want to be there? And get me out of the big city of Jerusalem as soon as possible. I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. How am I going to do that? Who's going to believe me anyway? The disciples could have said the same thing that Moses did, right? And the key was the Holy Spirit, who is God, right, is upon them and with them and after Pentecost indwelling them and that is when they receive the power. The power always comes from God to do the task that God assigns to each one of us. And it doesn't matter whether the task is a big one like a Billy Graham type task or whether the task is a small one, you know, the picking up weeds out of the flower bed type task. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, He's with you and He empowers you to do that, whatever it may be. Now, sometimes we take some task and say, yeah, that's reasonable, I can do that. That's kind of a scary thing when uh, people take up tasks that they think they can do. And uh, yet there's a lot of people who don't do things because they say, I could never do that. Well, God calls a lot of people to do things that they can't do and that they could never do so that God might do it through them and he might be the power that is on display. Let that sink in, child of God. There are no haves and have-nots in the Christian life and in the Christian faith. We all have God, the Holy Spirit, in us. Therefore, having His presence, we always have His power to do whatever it is. Not what we want to do, but whatever it is that He wants us to do and has assigned us to do. That ought to give us confidence. And you'll witness to people you never thought you could witness to. And maybe you're not doing it right now, but there'll come a day. And you'll say, I never thought I could have spoken to that person. I never thought I could have done what I did. Uh, This is the power of God working in us. So let's think about the power of God. Number one, the power of God comes with the calling of God. Okay? Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. The power of God shows up with that call. Moses may have never experienced the power of God like he did at that moment. And it scared him. It was something that caused him to kind of back off. It was sort of overwhelming because it was foreign to him. It was alien to him. This is not natural to him. He's now in the presence of God. All he did was see a bush that was burning, wonder why it wasn't being consumed, and all of a sudden he's meeting with God. Everything changed at that moment. So think about that. What is it that God is calling you to do? And sometimes you may not know what that calling is, but it may be that There have been other people over the years, maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe your husband or your wife, maybe one of your kids, maybe somebody in the church, maybe leadership in the church, and they've asked you to do something, and maybe they've asked you once, and maybe your name keeps coming up, they've asked you twice or maybe three times, will you teach this class, will you serve as an officer, will you take on this ministry? Well, maybe after a while it begins to register to you, maybe it's not them, maybe it's God. Maybe this is the call of God. And you see yourself like Moses did. I could never do anything like that. And maybe today you realize we're not asking you to do what you can do. We're asking you to do what God has called you to do. And remember this, with the calling of God comes the power to do whatever it is that he wants you to do. The old saying is God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And that is exactly right. Extraordinary things done by ordinary people because of the greatness and power of God. 
Now, the Bible says, and we've already made reference to this in Acts 7.25 when Stephen is talking. Stephen gives us insight into Moses. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his, not God's, not a capital H, but by his, Moses' hand. You know, God has this way of saying, if we're going to do something, it may be even something that I'm planning to do, but if everybody is going to see it being done by your hand, well, of course, of course he would do that. He's a good-looking person. He looks good on TV. Well, of course she would do that. Her voice rivals anybody at the Metropolitan Opera. Well, of course... Those kind of people could do anything. They're very smart. They're very wealthy. They're highly educated. Of course that works for them. And God has a tendency to kind of back away from that kind of thing. And he likes to use ordinary people. He likes to use... Well, remember what they said about the apostles after the resurrection? They're ignorant and unlearned fishermen. Not an indictment against fishermen. It's an, it's an indictment against the Sanhedrin who couldn't see the wisdom of those men. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways in order that he might showcase his power. His power and his glory and not yours and not mine. So when Moses is at a point where he doesn't think he can do it, now he's usable. Now he's ready. Number two, power comes... Uh, I probably should have worded this differently. Power comes, let's call it, with the promises of God. I've got in my notes, from the promises of God. And uh, you could make a case either way. But let's put it, power comes with the promises of God. So God gives a promise and God supplies the power. God gives the calling, God supplies the power. The power, in other words, is always from God and not from us. And so... When God tells Moses what to do and Moses says, you know, who am I that I go to Pharaoh? You know, you, you know who you're talking to, right, Lord? And the Lord says in verse 12, here's the key, I will certainly be with you. Now that should have been enough. If God ever says to you, I will be with you, what, what else are you looking for? Who else are you looking for? The God that said, let there be light and light appeared before he made the sun. How did he do that? I don't know, but that's no problem for God, a God who can do anything. And a God who can create the galaxies that we haven't even discovered yet. And he does it, the scripture says, by the word of his power. And so when he says in his word, I will be with you, what, what in the world are you hesitating for? And what else are you looking for? Well, Moses is one of those persons that the Lord could say, I will certainly, certainly be with you. And the Lord, knowing Moses' heart, he goes ahead and he's very gracious. And he says, and by the way, here's the sign. When you've led the people out of Egypt, you know, which means in the mind of God, it was already accomplished, wasn't it? And uh, he said, you'll be back here, back at this place where you saw the burning bush, here at the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, in the mountain range of Horeb. And uh, you, you, you'll remember this. This is a promise that I'm giving to you. You see, God understands that we're dust. God understands our frailties. God understands the way our minds work. God understands where we've been and what we've done. God has seen you when you were the strong, cocky, young, confident, got the world by the tail, 
And he also sees you when you're in the backside of the desert years later when you are getting up and you have to lean upon your staff in order to straighten up because your arthritis is acting up. God knows. God understands. And he knows where you are. And sometimes, instead of God just simply saying, I said I'd be with you. Now get busy. That's all you need. He's so kind that he goes ahead and he gives a promise And that promise is attached to who he is. You see, God owes you nothing. But God has given you 66 books in his word and preserved them over these thousands of years so that you could look in them and you can read promises. Don't you love the promises of God? Don't you love praying the promises of God? Don't you love doing what the old hymn says, standing on the promises of God? He didn't have to give you anything. He could have just said, do it. I've given you everything you need. Now just go. And you better get it right. But he did so much more than that. And those promises, those promises cause the power of God to flow through us. We stand upon that and we act upon those things because of the promises of God. And that's what he's doing with Moses. This is going to happen. I'm going to do it. And this should fire you up. But when you get all that done, you'll be back here one of these days. You'll remember what I said to you this day. And you'll see that I am a God who indeed keeps my word. Um, It's interesting that there are promises that have been made. And uh, we sometimes try to take them uh, personal. And not all the promises in the Bible were made to you. And not all the promises that were ever given were given to every single Jew or anything like that. For example, God had told Abraham hundreds of years before, this land is going to be yours and it's going to be for your descendants. Right? But Abraham never saw that. And uh, that was for a later time, another time, another place. But it would be the descendants of Abraham. God said this to Moses. But folks, remember, and God knew this, Moses was never going to live in the promised land. Moses got to look, but he didn't get to go in. And there are reasons for that, but just keep in mind that the promise of inheriting the land, Moses never got that promise. In fact, all of these people that are coming out of Egypt in that first generation, out of all of them, some people think there may have been a million, several hundred thousand at least, and uh, a sizable number. And remember, out of those, only two got to go to the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. And yet the promise remained intact. And I want to just say to you, there may be something that God has promised you about your family or about your uh, life or anything that maybe you don't get to experience, but your kids do or your grandkids do or your great-grandkids do. There may be something that God is doing in your life today that doesn't seem all that dramatic, but it is planting a seed in your family that will change your family tree. And that's what was happening here. God said, I'm going to bring the children of Israel out of slavery into Egypt, into the promised land. And yet there's a whole generation that doesn't get to inherit that promise. And even Moses doesn't get to inherit that promise. But you know what? The promises of God were true nevertheless. And you and I may not see every prayer and every dream and every desire we have answered But that doesn't mean if it's God's will that it's not going to be done. It just may not be done in our lifetime. Our job is to live a faithful life and leave clear footprints for those who are coming behind us and maybe dig a well in the desert so that they don't have to suffer like we did. But trust me, 
God will keep his word because he empowers his promises with everything that he is going to do. Number three, notice that power comes with, with knowledge. You know, and that really ought to be true for all of us. Moses said, you know, okay, okay. So I go, and I go even to my fellow Jews, to the Hebrews. You think they're going to believe me? And Moses probably had a flashback to that time when he tried to help one of them, or tried to help two of them that were striving, and one of them said, what are you going to do, kill me like you did the Egyptian? I mean, his own people, they turned on him. They didn't support him. And Moses may be thinking, same song, second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse. I mean, I'm not a young man anymore. I've been out in the desert. Have you smelled a shepherd lately? Have you looked at their clothes? Have you looked at their weather-beaten skin? Have you seen him after all of these years? He's not the, the handsome poster child of Egypt anymore. Nobody would put Moses on a pinup calendar or anything like that, would they? And now you send me? Now you send me? This doesn't make any sense. And so as the Lord has given him that promise, Moses says, okay, so who am I supposed to say sent me? I mean... They've been in slavery for 400 years. Is it possible that very few of those slaves even knew their heritage? Is it possible that many of them, they, they hadn't worshipped God in a long time? Could it be that they didn't know the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So when Moses shows up and says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me, they just looked and they said, Got lots of gods in Egypt. We were dedicated to them. We're forced to serve them. Our masters come over us with a whip in their name. I mean, what are you talking about? And so Moses says, who shall I say sent me? I don't know what Moses was expecting, but it's a strange name, isn't it? And yet it's a powerful name. I am who I am. It's me. I am. I am. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, he was giving this forceful statement of a God who, in some ways, is nameless, isn't he? Who would we name God? What would we ascribe to him? Well, and if you don't know the word of God, you don't really know what to say. You can make God in your image. You can make God like you would like him to be, and yet that wouldn't be God. God has to reveal himself. And he's chosen to reveal himself here by saying, I'm the great I am. I'm unchangeable, unalterable. The God who outlasts temporary kings. You know, religions will come and go. We don't worship the gods of the Egyptians, not literally. We don't worship the gods of some pagan tribe in South America. We don't do that. They come and they go. There's an ebb and a flow to all of that. There are all kinds of people and worshipers and gods that they worship. In fact, here, here's something for you. You say you're a, a man or woman of faith. I heard that there is a sect of Islam in Iran, and when they come into their shrine... They lick the doorknob. Hey, there's one for you. Right? Well, I just believe in a sovereign God. Lick a doorknob and I'll believe you. Right? 
It's interesting that in things we don't want to do, we say, well, God's sovereign, it'll be okay. But in other things, you know, we still change our tires, we still get our brakes fixed, and we don't lick doorknobs, right? Uh, you know, there are all kinds of weird things that you find. And God looks over all of it, and he sees all of it, and we say, Lord, look what they're worshiping. Lord, look what they're believing. Lord, look what they're doing. Who are you, and where are you? And he says, I'm the I am. Nothing's changed. Plan is intact. Everything's moving the direction I said it was going to move. I know all about that. In fact, I knew about it before it even existed. Cool your jets. Calm down. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Trust me and trust in my power. And this is a God that is speaking to Moses. Had this ever happened before? Apparently not. Had Moses been really walking with God? We have absolutely no information about that at all, do we? It seems as though this was the encounter and Moses' life is being changed. His destiny is being changed. And the more that Moses begins to know about the God who is speaking to him from the burning bush. I mean, I don't, I don't think it would take much intelligence that if you see a bush that is burning and not consumed and a voice comes out of it, who would that be? Probably even the Egyptians, if they had been there, would have said it's some kind of a God, some type of supernatural being, somebody who is more powerful than I am. Well, that's not going to get you very far. It may take you into superstition and bondage and things like that. But God reveals himself to Moses. Tell them, I am has sent you. And I'm the God that met with your ancestor Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. I know how you got to Egypt. I know why you're in Egypt. I know how long you've been in Egypt. And I've heard your cry and I am here to liberate you. It's interesting that when Jesus came to earth, that in the Gospel of John, there were several I am statements that we just, you know, why is he calling himself bread? Why is he calling himself a door? Every Jew that would be listening, especially the Jewish leaders, when he used the words, I am, that's what got their attention. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. See, we would read out over that and say, hmm, what kind of a door is he? Screen door, a patio door, a, what kind of door? We, we, we would get hung up on that kind of thing. The Jews would understand when Jesus used those two words, I am, he was giving them a message. I am the voice that Moses heard from the burning bush. Man, no wonder they were after him. They were insulted by all of that. The power of God and the voice of God was once again being heard in Israel when Jesus said the words, I am, just like he said those words to Moses at the burning bush. We've got to know God. We've got to know him more than just the way we knew him at that moment when we were saved. That was a great revelation that the Holy Spirit gave us when he drew us to Christ and to Calvary and when he saved us. But it's not enough. You've got to progress. You've got to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, Peter said. 
You don't know him like you ought to know him. You don't know him the way you're going to know him 10 years from now. You don't know him the way you're going to know him a few decades from now. But you've got to be in pursuit of that because the power of God comes upon you as you begin to know him and live in that power. And so God is revealing himself to Moses for that very reason. Okay. Now, the next thing that we want to look at is I'll catch up with myself here in my notes, is that power comes from investing in and involvement with others. So after God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he tells him what it is he is supposed to do. He says, go and gather the elders of Israel together. You know the first thing that struck me on that? God is saying, Moses, last time you did it on your own, you did it by yourself. This time it's going to be different. Here's your instruction. Number one, I will be with you. So that's really all that matters. And number two, I want you to gather some other people around you so you don't do it alone. You see, our walk with God involves a relationship with Him, but also a relationship with others. It involves us discipling others, helping others, shepherding others, praying for others, giving to others, loving others. And that includes the body of Christ. Of course it does. We're brothers and sisters. You ought to love your family. But it also includes loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. You know, there may come a time when the governor or somebody tells us we don't want anybody gathering in groups that are large groups and we'd like for churches to do things. And you know what? We'll find a way to accommodate and adapt that to that. Now, if they tell us we can't meet, period, different issue. But if we can be a good neighbor. See, I'm either going to get coronavirus or I'm not. Am I right about that? I mean, that's really all there is. And here's the other thing. I'm either going to survive it or I'm not. Is that a fair statement? And so if I survive it, hey, good. If I don't survive it, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what he was saying? To live is Christ and to die is just more of the same. So I don't lose. But there is the idea that these viruses spread through groups like this. Okay? And so for all of us, we either get it, we die, or we survive. And as Christians, you know... We either continue to live here or we go be with the Lord. In other words, it's like Wayne Rob Robinson used to tell us, it's a win-win situation. Remember that? That's all it is. But there are people out there, you've got lost family members that are not in the same place you are. I don't necessarily want to take their ventilator. I'd rather leave that bed for them. I'd rather leave that equipment for them. I'd rather not be involved in the spread of this disease. Why? Because I'm scared? No, not much. Maybe a little, but not much. It's because I love my neighbor as I love myself. And I don't want to get into a line at Walmart and have somebody with the coronavirus turn around and sneeze all over me. Do you? So I don't want to be involved in passing it on to other people either. And that's why we ask people that are at high risk, just don't come to church for a while. It's not that we're anti-church attendance or we're just saying, ah, oh, it doesn't matter if you go to church or not. No, that's not what we said. We're saying, love us enough not to come or not to have to uh, worry about you. And if you are sick, stay home. 
you know what? It's not that we don't love you or want you in church. We want the place full. It's just simply this. Love causes us to do certain things for the benefit of other people. It's called loving your neighbor. And we love our community. And we want to be uh, people who impart life and health and not sickness and death when we can control it. Does that make sense? It's a relationship thing. But it's not just that. It's not about seeing how many we can get to attend, even though we want to multiply. But it's about this. How can we be the best we can be for the glory of God? And so sometimes we raise up these giants in a generation. And then we all have heroes. Oh, you remember how so-and-so could pray. And you remember how so-and-so could witness. And you remember how so-and-so could give. But they're in heaven now and they can't do that anymore. And we feel so weak and inadequate to take their place. Because here's here's the deal. Whatever God is doing in your life, if you don't pass that on to somebody else then in a sense, in a sense, it dies with you. Now, it's not that God's limited. He can raise up another generation and teach them. But it would be so much easier on the next generation if we would relate to them and if we would teach them. And I want you to think about these students that are going to Mission Arlington. First of all, we applaud them for going. And secondly, think about this. We're training them. When we pray for them, when we love them, when we support them, when we get to know them, when we give them a pat on the back, except not now. Um, But when we do that, that's a good thing because they may be the ones that face persecution in America like we've never faced. They may be the greatest generation in God's eyes because they give their lives for the cause of Christ. It may be my grandchildren, your grandchildren, or great-grandchildren. We just don't know. But it's our job To do like Moses did. Relate together. Quit trying to do it all yourself. Quit trying to do it alone. Train somebody else and get involved with somebody else. Share the gospel with somebody else. Sammy had an opportunity yesterday at a grocery store and all she did was buy some uh, fresh flowers. And a lady said, well, that's a strange purchase for times like this. And Sammy got to talking with her and it led to a conversation even about God and his power and all of that. And the lady ended up saying, I think I'm going to go buy some flowers. You made me feel better just talking to you. You know what? There are times in these dark days when our hope and our relationships with other people give other people hope as well. And that's part of the reason that we're here. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, even when there's a deadly virus going around. Even when, as Isaac referred to earlier during Martin Luther's day, when the black plague is going through Europe, we don't quarantine the gospel. We spread it, and we spread it through other people, and we teach other people how to do the things that we are doing. So power comes from investing in and involvement in relationships. And so I, I want you just to think about all of this and how this is going to change uh, Moses' life. And I want you to think about your calling, which is the great commission, spreading the gospel, making disciples, and the great commandment, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. How can you help people? How can you impart hope? How can you minister? How can you serve people in your neighborhood? How can you help people who are sick? Think about those things. And your promise is the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That's God. Your knowledge is this. God has revealed himself through Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us that. 
And uh, we know God. The world doesn't. So we need to share that knowledge. Your investment is in making disciples, as it tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. We've got to pass on what we know and pour it into people who are coming up behind us who are going to be able to teach others. And your faith, well, this reminds me of an old hymn, Faith is the Victory, and it says that overcomes the world. I grew up singing that. I could sing that when I was a little bitty kid. Imagine how amazed I was to find out that that's in the Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It's just simply being bold and obeying God. Obeying God regardless of the circumstances. And God unleashes His power to those who will be good stewards of that power. He's not going to waste it. May the power of God flow through us, flow through you, bring glory to God, bring many people to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and that disciples may be made so that the work of the church carries on long after we're gone, as it did in the life of Moses when he encountered God at the burning bush. Thank the Lord for his presence and remember that God has never forgotten to bring his power wherever he shows up. He always brings his power with his presence. Which means right here, right now, whether you realize it or feel it or not, God is here. His holy angels are here. The Holy Spirit who is God is here. And with that is great, great, great power. Because in this very room, there's enough power and there's enough love and there's enough gospel to change the world. Let's unleash it. Unleash it for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, as we think about this time of prayer, we think about our needs, of course, and we think about all of our inadequacies, and we just come to say, forgive us of the sin of looking at ourselves. We're too narcissistic. We think everything rises and falls with us. And even when we say it doesn't, we still think it does. And we're here to lay down all of that and to die to self and say, Oh Lord, in our weakness, show yourself to be strong. In our frailty, in our frailty, show your power. We surrender and we submit to you. So we're asking you, Lord, with the calling and the commission and the enablement and the promises of God and with the obedience and great faith, May we follow you and walk with you. And may this be the greatest time of our life. When the world sees nothing but negativity and darkness, may we proclaim glory and power and future and hope. May we have confidence so that others see the hope that is in us. And they ask us, how in the world are you able to be so calm with all of this? And we can tell them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I see this during these times where the stock market can't make up its mind what it wants to do, during these times when nobody really knows what this virus is going to do, I see this as a time for us to stand tall, to be firm and unwavering, and to let our light shine bright in a dark world. I see it as a time of servanthood, a time of ministry. And we do want to pray for the sick. We do want to pray for those who are vulnerable for protection. We pray for those like Brother Bob, 
uh, hooker who are quarantined right now. And we want to pray that you would have mercy on them. We do want to pray for government officials and healthcare workers and first responders, all of those people. Keep them healthy and give them wisdom and show the truth about all of this and bring us through it and bring us through it quickly. But don't let us waste this time. It's an opportunity for us like maybe we've never had before. So here we are, standing at our burning bush, and with all of our excuses, we lay them down. And we want to be more like Isaiah, saying, here am I, send me. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.